We acknowledge the First Nations people as the traditional custodians of the land we are on today. We acknowledge and pay respect to all elders, past, present and emerging. The Now in the Future podcast is an exciting way of sharing members' stories of opportunities, challenges and provide support and expert advice for Down Syndrome community. Down Syndrome Queensland's vision is to support, advocate for empower people with Down Syndrome to take their rightful places as valuable and contributing members of their community both now into the future. In today's episode, we'll be exploring more about Mosaic Down Syndrome. This is a rare type of Down Syndrome, which is only around 1-2% of people who live with Down Syndrome. In Australia, that means roughly around 120 to 240 people living with this type. Mosaicism occurs when a person has two or more genetically different sets of cells in their body. People with the more common type of Down syndrome, trisomy 21, have three copies of the additional 21st chromosome in each cell. However, people with mosaic Down syndrome have some cells with an additional 21st chromosome, while other cells have two copies rather than three. Mosaicism occurs when the chromosomal variation takes place after conception. As for people with trisomy 21, the more common form of Down syndrome. People with mosaic Down syndrome are all unique individuals with a range of strengths and interests. Some, though not all people with mosaic Down syndrome, have fewer of the physical features that can be associated with Down syndrome. But most children with mosaic Down syndrome will also experience delays in meeting some of their developmental milestones. Whilst some people with mosaic Down syndrome may experience less of the developmental and physical impacts of Down syndrome, other people with mosaic Down syndrome will experience many of these. The degree of impact will depend upon a range of other factors, including the level of mosaicism. Today we will hear from a range of people about their lived experience of mosaic Down syndrome beginning with an adult who lives with the condition, her mother, and another parent who both discuss their journey towards their child's diagnosis. Stay with us to the very end of this slightly longer episode today for a very unique surprise. You won't be disappointed. So welcome, Gillian. It's really lovely to be on the other side of the microphone with you in a capacity other than how we normally work together on a daily basis. Um, Community Engagement Officer is your title within Down Syndrome Queensland. You've been with us for, gosh, it must be coming up to 18 months now. Almost 18 months, you're right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Hard to believe. That's right. And it's actually a real privilege today to talk to you a little bit more about a topic that we know you're very passionate about, um, and that is life with mosaic Down syndrome. So I guess 
something that you have shared with me a lot over the time together has been around um, the same but different kind of concepts. So there's a lot of issues that you feel people with mosaic Down syndrome experience very similar to people who mm-hmm. have a diagnosis of trisomy 21. Yeah. But you also feel like there's some real key differences. Yes, there are. Yeah. Yes. So I wondered, would it be okay if, if you started by telling us a little bit more about what are the things that you have felt are similar or the same for pe- people with mosaic Down syndrome and people with trisomy 21? Sure. So I was diagnosed when I was four years old with mosaic Down syndrome and um it's very common for people with mosaic Down syndrome to get uh, that diagnosis later in life as opposed to birth because of the um, key differences. The similarities are very much the same where there's an intellectual disability, yes, point blank, um, but it's very different in the representation. That's the, probably one of the biggest uh, actual similarities across the board. The processing of information is exactly the uh, same frustration. Uh, The relay back of uh, verbal uh, communication, for example, the short-term memory issues are exactly the same problem. Mm -hmm. I have to write it down immediately, otherwise I will forget. So there are very big similarities and obviously on the wider front too with um, other health implications. And I think that's sometimes one of the things I have heard in terms of a misperception in the community. Mm. People think because a lot more or or some of the more um, usually associated physical characteristics may not be present for some people with Down syndrome, people assume that that means that it impacts the person less. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It's just you cannot see it because it's internal. mm, There can be the same range of um, health Exactly. conditions potentially yeah and but it, not always that's right it's very very much the same have we covered the things that you wanted to talk about in terms of the things that you feel are Very similar similar yeah um i think so there's probably plenty more that we could go into but it's probably less you know we could go on forever Broadly speaking, Broadly speaking yeah, yeah. some level of intellectual disability. and They're the two poten- key ones. Yeah, and, and potentially the same range of possible health impacts. Exactly. Great. Yep. Okay. Yeah. What about some of the areas, and I know you're quite passionate about this, um, <laughs> what do you think could, is quite different for people with mosaic Down syndrome? Uh, and um, you talked about the invisibility. We did, and mm-hmm. that comes into that. That experience is both positive and negative. So I can give you two examples. One's a positive mm. one, one's a negative one. If you're sure. Yeah. Mm. And I've had instances where um, people say, oh, no, you're just, you're just a mum who's struggling. King, no, it's not. Mm. It, goes, it goes deeper than that. Um, it's not, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for lack of a better term, it's not just like personal depression. It's not. It's mm. something else entirely. Mm. And there is no support for people um, mm. like that mm. for intellectual disability mm. who are also being parents as well as being a wife as well as mm. being employed. There's nothing out there right now. Um, and I, I think that's so important to talk about, I guess, in terms of the different roles and hats that you wear in your life. You know, mm. um, I 
we hadn't plans to talk about this, but how how is that for you on a day to day managing a home and a family? And it's extremely taxing, mm-hmm. extremely taxing. Well, let's be honest. Parenting can be a tough gig, even when you don't live with an intellectual That's disability. Right. And so, if you're living with that level of, you know, mm-hmm. additional unrecognized need for some adjustments in your That's daily right. life. Exactly. And um, I'm very fortunate. I have a very supportive family and a very supportive uh, community. There are a lot of people in my, similar to me, do not have that. Mm. Um, and these these impacts are actually, actually brushed under the carpet a lot of the time in society. They don't want to talk about it. Mm. Um, I'm open to it because I know I'm in a safe space place to be able to come from that position to bring it out into the open mm. people with intellectual disability can be a mum they can parent uh, obviously and but if they have to be well supported to do so in a very loving and supported environment mm. you cannot do it yourself yeah. and well and I guess when you think about how we would support a person with disability who might require some workplace adjustments or some adjustments within the home environment or That's right. you know, that kind of thing, it stands to be perfectly sensible mm. that, that if someone also has another role that they fulfil in their life, such as being a parent or, you know, yep. then, of course, there might be some additional considerations that That's need right. to be exactly. done. <laughs> so we've kind of moved away from where we started, but that was um, we, we were discussing, you know, what's different and you were talking about the invisibility of that. Yep. Is there anything else that you think we haven't discussed yet that you feel is different for a person with mosaic Down syndrome than it is perhaps for someone with trisomy 21? What has been different for me from a mosaic point of view, which is different to Trust Me 21, is uh, from a positive point of view, education. Um, I went through t- year 12, college, did fashion, um, and yes, it was difficult. I wasn't judged because of physical appearances or um, anything like that. So I was very fortunate in that sense. Yes, there were impacts differently, because I struggled anyway, it's regardless a, of what, if like that, it was a positive experience. It was fully inclusive. It was fantastic. But from, it was just, I was barely just making the mark. Mm. And it was such a huge effort just to always make mm. those good grades. And particularly for a young teenage girl going through high school, you got, all the health implications of having Down syndrome as well on top of studying. Did your school and college subsequently know that you had mosaic Down syndrome or an intellectual disability? No, no, no. Uh, My high school did, um, but I chose not to say anything at college and that was a personal choice because it was an era um, back then. Uh, Things were very, very different to what they are now. And I might share your age if that's okay. Yes, sure. I'm 36. So So we're talking, you know, 20, almost 20 years ago. 20 years ago. That's Um, right. So, okay, so you didn't share that with college. So I guess to recap what you're saying there, the difference was that Mm. um, because you're having a type of down syndrome wasn't physically obvious and Mm. you didn't disclose it to the college, potentially that was a different experience because... yes 
there wasn't an assumed need for work mm. to be modified or perhaps different supports provided. That's right, exactly. So things yeah. could have been very different mm. if I had mm. said something differently. Yeah. My gut instinct was correct. Well, I guess that brings us to kind of like the final area we wanted to chat about today, which was around, you know, the importance of, of support, you mm. know, that for people with mosaic Down syndrome, and I hope I'm not oversharing by saying you've talked to me a lot in the past about the fact that um, because of the invisibility and the different presentation of, of your um, intellectual disability and the way that mosaic Down syndrome impacts you, mm. you haven't always been automatically eligible or in fact eligible at all for certain types of support that would potentially be offered yeah. otherwise to yeah. somebody who you know, has trisomy 21, for example. Mm. Um, mm. Are you happy to talk a little bit about I am I, this is something that has to come out in the open it really does um yes what Tanya's saying is true and I'm happy to share it because one of the reasons how I got onto Down syndrome in Queensland first was around this specific issue and I came to for support because I wasn't being listened to and um so I wanted to get onto NDIS because I needed the support, but everything that I didn't try wasn't working. So I ended up coming to DSQ for their advocacy support. And um, funny enough, I still did not qualify for NDIS funding um, because I'm too highly capable to it, to summarise it. Um, Is that how you felt the the wording back That's to you right. was given exactly yeah mm. i was too too higher intellect to be in part my the supports that i were asking for wasn't meeting the um their criteria their criteria functional and functional impact, impact. that's yep. right yeah perfect words <laughs> and i guess that's the tricky thing we we hear most of the time most people with trisomy 21 not all, but most of the time, you know, when they transition into that seven and over space in the NDIS, you know, generally mm. speaking, they are still eligible for the NDIS. In the under seven space, it's an automatic eligibility if you meet yeah. the residency. But you're finding that experience was such that they said mm. your functional impact is not great enough mm. in, in their opinion. In their opinion and in their mm. eyes, which is like doesn't matter it's it's water under the bridge for me really mm -hmm. um it doesn't really matter but it does matter on the biggest sense of the scale for other people mm -hmm. that aren't so lucky mm -hmm. um that need that those supports because you mentioned earlier you feel you've got a lot of support i have plenty of support in personally life. in mm -hmm. my life but not I'm, everybody does no mm -hmm. no one and i'm not the first to say this but and I'm meaning this more broadly, people with intellectual disability of this higher intellectual disability, there's a lot of people not getting onto NDIS because of this mm -hmm. issue. It's not a Down syndrome-specific problem. No, no, no. We see this a lot across the board. I know when I worked in the adult space in a different organisation where we supported people with, and I don't like this term because it's actually not reflective of their experience, but mild to borderline intellectual disability. Exactly. Um, that mm. that word mild does not mean, as you said earlier, yeah. that, that the way that impacts on their daily life is mm. mild. No. <laughs> it might just mean that according to some particular intelligence test, they've scored a particular score. Mm -hmm. um, 
But it sounds like from what you said earlier, that cognitive, like the exhaustion and the, exhaustion. And the processing time and yep. all that is a similar experience. That's right, it is. Even if your ability to communicate verbally might be at a different level. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And there's, yeah, instances where, you know, that verbal feedback is all well and good. You feel healthy. Mm. But then, you know, like, every day is different. Like, you can wake up and you feel groggier than what mm. you did the day before. So mm. it's... It's really difficult to pigeonhole that. <laughs> and also you talked about masking before in a different way, but I know mm. in the work our team see amongst people with Down syndrome and, and even just where we've all worked previously with people with intellectual disability, that can that level of masking can be, particularly when people have quite good verbal communication skills, people can agree to things, nod to things, learn all the great social skills that go along with maintaining a conversation. But mm. like you say, they may still have the recall difficulties and the processing difficulties, which means that if you talk about that conversation after the fact yep. and try to check in to see how much a person understood or what they feel they agreed to in that conversation, mm. that mm. might be a whole other yes. <laughs> understanding. What about Sadly. other types of talk? Because you've sort of covered NDIS and, and for you in your particular situation, mm. unfortunately you were found not to be eligible for it. And I guess that's always a decision you can potentially revisit into the future and apply It is. Uh, it's be. exhausting, I must admit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> those processes yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. Um, and I guess I want to point out too for anyone listening today that just because you have mosaic Down syndrome and you applied and you were not found eligible, that doesn't mean that all people with mosaic Down syndrome, no, that would be right. the same outcome for them. So no. we don't want to, we want, don't want people to take home a message from today that if you have mosaic Down syndrome, you're not eligible for the NDIS. That's certainly not the case yeah. in That's your all particular because instance. of capability yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. yeah, but in terms of other supports, is there anything else before we finish up that you want to share in terms of the type of support that um, you, you advocate for? Yeah, mental health is probably my biggest baby mm -hmm. um, because I sit in the land of nowhere. <laughs> I, no, I shouldn't say that. Um, I fall through the cracks you know, so many times. Mm. So mental health is actually has been one of my biggest impacts for me. Mm. Um, and there's just not enough support around that, um, obviously. And, and actually that's the same for people with tricep. Like we exactly. actually, anyone who lives with an intellectual disability, we know that the mm. chance of them having a co-occurring mental health issue at some point in their life is higher than it is for other people in the community. The data's scary. Mm. And that's that's from an intellectual disability point of view across mm. the board. Mm. Um, let alone people mm. with have other comorbidities on top of it. Mm. Um, and because of the impact of the pandemic, it's only really just in the last two and a half years that mental health has been mm. on the radar for even the general for population. Yeah. That yeah. It's, a, it's a place where people with severe issues have come across for years, but mm. it's never been articulated until now. Mm. Um, and people, because people do not understand down syndrome or intellectual disability doesn't mean that those impacts are huge, are not mm. there. People are only just starting to become aware of the mental health mm. issues from mm. a just an ordinary point of view now. Um, but it's been mm. it's been a very big issue for a long time. Yeah, I guess in summary, then, Jillian, like I know we like to leave with a bit of a key message. You know, what what would be the one thing that you want the 
the wider um, Down syndrome community to sure. understand about mosaic Down syndrome? So uh, community awareness is probably the biggest thing for me, mm-hmm. um, just because of the diversity and the uniqueness of this rarity in this in the gene sequence of Down syndrome. Um, community awareness is extremely important. Um, it's particularly on the true lived experience and the health impacts of the health mm. challenges mm. Uh, present, and they are presently misunderstood right now mm. um, by the larger community awareness, um, even in the Down syndrome population. Mm. So more broadly to a, a societal, of course, it's mm. non-existent. Because um, you've mentioned to me in the past that potentially for people of your generation or older, yes, um, there could be people living in the community with mosaic Down syndrome that don't even realise. Oh, they might so just think true. they have some level of learning difficulty. Exactly. I know the testing, the genetic testing that I got done when I was young, I was really the first of its kind mm. in um, mm. the mid mid eighties. Yeah. So prior to that. There mm. is no testing. Mm. So anyone from 36 and above, mm. there's a lot of people walking around with an intellectual disability that they wouldn't even know that they had. Mm. Um, and mm. I think we probably forgot to point this out earlier when you mentioned the later age that you were diagnosed, but part of that reason is because at birth if, if a little one's born without some of the more... Um, Usual physical features that might lead someone to do genetic testing after a baby's born, then it might not be until that baby is several years down the track and perhaps not meeting some of those developmental milestones Mm. that Mm. we would usually expect that the question might get raised. Yeah, Mm. that's right. And um, it's it's only because of the impact of this new Mm. uh, testing that it's come out to light. but that also, as you know, um, it's a whole other podcast. Jenny. It's a whole other podcast. <laughs> that one. Well, look, you well, are right. Thank you so much for sharing all of this today. I, um, I strongly suspect we're going to. We've only just scratched the the surface of, of what we could talk about with this. But we have other guest speakers we want to also interview. So thank you so much for joining us today. And. Um, we will have some links in the show notes too from today around sure. other places people can go if they want to learn a little bit more. And I hope you don't mind. I'll just add on, if anyone is wanting to reach out with Mosaic Down Syndrome, mm. um, I am a obviously an advocate, self-advocate for that. Um, there is international um, places, International Mosaic Down Syndrome Association. And we'll put that link up. Yeah. And um, also... Obviously, Down Syndrome Australia and Down Syndrome Queensland can help you with those links too. So please come say hello. (laughs) So welcome, Laurel. Thank you, Tanya. It's really, really wonderful to have you today in person, particularly after all this COVID recording. Um, Earlier in this episode, we had the privilege of um, having a conversation with your daughter, Gillian, who is also one of my colleagues here at Down Syndrome Queensland. And so she has shared her perspectives on what it is like to live with mosaic Down syndrome. But now we would really like to hear from you as her parent um, and just hear a little bit about what that journey was like for you. Gillian shared with us that she was almost four before she was diagnosed. So I just wondered if you could share a little bit about what led you to pursuing, mm, you know, certainly. that. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot 
Like, and it is a long time ago and, and, you know, there are things that you forget but there are certainly things that you remember. Gillian was a very easy baby, so she slept through at 11 weeks. Wow. Um, didn't ever cause, you know, she, she wasn't a distressed child in any way. She had a two-year-old brother. I was 28 years old. I was healthy, fit. Life mm. was good. Mm. Um, her milestones were a bit slower. She didn't speak. Uh, she didn't walk till about 15 months, but very placid child. Not noticeably um, low muscle tone, you know, cuddly, but not, not one of those children who was sort of flop everywhere. Yeah. Um, but she did tire easily, I guess. Uh, she didn't speak clearly, I guess, when I think about it now, um, for until later. Uh, than most children, but I couldn't sort of put timelines on it now. And we understood mm. her, you know, you understood your As child, a parent does. As yeah. a parent does. So when she went to kindy, we were in a situation where we had one car and, um, you know, logistics meant that I would walk her to kindy, which was great. It was only, um, I don't know, maybe two kilometres. It was a lovely walk, but it was more than she could cope with. So I used to push her in the stroller. Uh, and we'd get to the park, which was next door to the kindy, and we'd hide the stroller in the park so she could walk in like a big girl, oh, mm. you know. So those sort of muscle-tony things. Plus she did tire easily, I guess. Mm. Um, her teacher, when we did the um, interviews partway through the time, she said, oh, Gillian's such an you know, she's a happy little girl. She said, we can't understand a word she says, but she sits in the corner and plays happily. Mm. And I went, Okay, and, and I'm I happy should with that. probably say here for our listeners, you're a teacher yourself. I am so. a teacher myself. Yes, I'm a primary school teacher, um, and I, that um, I guess concerned me greatly. Mm. Um, we were in a very close sort of, you know, loving family and lots of support and lots of social stuff. So it didn't stand out a mile that she didn't socialise particularly well because in mm. our kind of thing. But when you hear that at kindy, she's sitting in a corner just playing by herself. And her teacher's happy with that, really. Mm. I went, I'm not really happy. Okay, so then we, she walked, as I said, she walked quite late, about 15 months. Um, and then we did start to notice things that we thought we were surprised she didn't pick up on. Mm. Um, we, I particularly remember when it got to, uh, I think we, we we must have looked at some muscle tone and those sorts of things because we did get involved with a group called ANSUA, which was a new start for the underachiever, and that was a bit of, you know, um, muscle tone and support and um, the vestibular stimulation, you know, put her on mm. the swing and do the, mm. the trolley on the, the tummy, um, those sorts of things, and I remember being told, having it explained to me that she, it's like your hair. She's got all her hair, but it's just a bit tangled. Her brain's a bit like that. The brain's fine. It's all there. No worries. But there's just some of the things that are a bit tangled and some of this sort of stimulation can help undo it. I think from memory that that was before her diagnosis. Mm. What really twigged me to say, okay, we've got to do something here, um, even though she was the happiest child, she was easy, she was, you know, ate well but had strange tastes, strong. She loved sardines and things, olives and things like that, which is unusual for a child. Mm. And we've since discovered that some zinc deficiencies and things can um, indicate that. But the thing that really twigged me was her fourth birthday. I remember saying the day before, it's your birthday tomorrow, yeah, for you. And she kind of looked at me like, 
Mm. And I went, no, 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 four-year-olds get birthdays. Mm. Um, There's something not Mm. happening for her here. And that was when I went to the doctor. Mm. Uh, She had no physical presentation of Downs at all. She was short, but hello, she comes from a long family of short. Um, I'm, you know, just over five foot. My grandmother was under five foot. Mm. My brother at 54 is still only five foot two. So that wasn't a a Mm. trigger for us. Um, So there were no, yeah, physical signs, Mm. just this intellectual difference a little bit, a bit Mm. of lag. Mm. So we went to the doctor and he said, oh, well, we'll, you know, do some checking out and sent um, to a paediatrician who was a most beautiful lady, a wonderful, wonderful lady who was so sad when she turned 14 that we couldn't (laughs) deal with. Anyway, she did some blood tests and whatever else and I remember getting the call, it was a Friday night, to say, um, this was Dr Crawford, and she said, Laurel, I've done these tests, I've checked these tests over and over and over again and I cannot believe what I'm seeing. But. Jillian has a form of Down syndrome. It's a very rare form. Mm. We're so surprised because she has no presentation of it, but her blood cells show that this is the case and we know that it's mosaic Down syndrome because it's only in some of her cells, not Mm. all of her cells. Mm. And she explained to us that the division of the cells from the initial um, embryo, Post-conception. Yes, post-conception. So I had never heard of mosaic Down syndrome. Um, My modus operandi is you find out stuff, so I immediately started searching. There wasn't a lot to about it. In the days before Google, yes, Mm. there wasn't a lot to it. Uh, So we had genetic testing, that's right, and went through a whole process of, you know, confirming and and, um, visits with our paediatrician. And they were all very... (laughs) supportive and, um, you know, positive, Mm. but I guess we just didn't know very much Mm. because it's such a... um, It's such a rare form in the first place. It's such a rare form in the first place and because it doesn't show itself very much, there's Mm. not a lot to to Mm. be able to know. However, um, we were advised... We Mm. were advised to see a psychologist... Mm. um, initially an educational psychologist to sort of determine her intellectual abilities etc so we went to see him with kind of trepidation and he said well we can't really tell but probably the um expectation we would be for Gillian that she will muddle through primary school not sure that she'll make it to high school oh laurel but we don't can't tell you for sure so um, we'll just see how we go. But our very, very uh, strong advice to you is in the current education system is that we don't apply labels because if you apply the label Down syndrome, the expectations will drop mm. and Gillian won't achieve her potential. Mm. So we took that home and we took that on board and as an experienced teacher, I guess I could understand that that expectation thing is a reality. It's not mm. ideal, but mm. it's human. Mm. And that, oh, yes, okay, you know, maybe we won't mm. sort of push too hard, whatever. Mm. So what we decided to do was, I think, discussion with him and with her uh, pediatrician and as a family we said, okay, 
we will talk about the <clears throat> the symptoms mm. or the 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 difficulties, but we don't put the label on it. So I went to her school and I said, Gillian has short-term memory loss, you know, short, short-term memory problems. Mm. She finds it really difficult to learn things by rote. Um, her time, um, perceptions of time have always been a bit difficult for Jill. Um, those sorts of things are what we talked about. Um, making decisions were difficult. Would you like an apple or a pear? Um, um, drove everybody in the family nuts. Come on, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Mm-hmm. So those little things, but was never anything really, you know, a real major thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so and that's what we did with school. Mm-hmm. And in terms of when that diagnosis was first shared with mm-hmm. you as a family, were you given much information about what, I mean, other than you've talked about the expectations that they projected in terms mm. of her schooling, but in terms of what this genetic difference means for a person who lives with it, did they Not really much? because they couldn't tell us, you know, we didn't know whether it was going to affect her um, her ovaries. We didn't mm. know if it was going to affect her um, heart. Yeah, yeah. We didn't know which things and they yeah. just said, oh, we'll just wait until it comes up and then we'll see. Um, Obviously they did heart testing and yes. things like that. She had not long started doing gymnastics mm. and we did get the message, oh, no, don't do gymnastics. Mm. Tumbling is mm. a danger because there's an instability, often an instability in the, yeah. the, the Whereas the these neck. days, you know, physical activity is very encouraged. Exactly. And she so. was very grumpy about that, I have to say. I bet. Yeah, so the schooling um, then just proceeded with okay um with support and you know extra and having mm. the the good fortune for me as a teacher I was able to you know help her more probably give her more support mm. at home so reading was was fine maths was always a challenge mm. always a challenge and again many of us <laughs> like yes things <laughs> like uh, I do remember one uh, session that just ripped my heart out as a mum she she put so much effort into this presentation she was going to be doing it was about dinosaurs I remember it and this was going to be doing this presentation and she had to remember she had palm cards she, mm. it was a really big deal anyway off she went and she I happened to see her teacher that afternoon when I went to pick her up she was somewhere else I saw her teacher and I was a bit anxious about it and the teacher I said oh does presentation go you know Oh, she had the date mixed up. That's not till next week. Oh, no. And I just went, oh, my gosh. So, yeah, things like that yeah, um, yeah. just were sad and upsetting mm. because you could see how much she was putting in. Mm. But we used to think she's an amazing little bubble, um, a little bit like those fellows that fall over and jump up again. Gillian's mm. brother was very lucky in that respect. He found schooling very easy, socialising very easy, sport very easy. Mm. We all have challenges at different times in our lives, mm. but mm. as a child he had was, you know. Life was just a bit more smooth. Centre of the social universe, sports captain, mm. you know, all of that. was still battled on. And it's interesting with your children because um, he was never a risk taker. If he didn't think he was going to be able to do it well, he wouldn't do it. Jillian would have a go at anything mm. because she was so used to going, well, oh, oh well, have another go. Yeah. Um, she was a joy to have around. Mm. He still is. Yeah. Uh, but she used to say, it's a bit Pollyanna, we used to think about it as Pollyanna. Mm. She would say, oh, it's a new day, anything can happen. Mm. 
Yeah. So what a resilient positive, resilient yeah. person. She yeah. learnt resilience. Um, so that was this kind of schooling things. Something that we do hear, Laurel, though, from people who, you know, have shared with us the similar kinds of journey around that um, the effort that goes into you know, that constantly, the additional effort that may not be so acknowledged or visible to other people, but that's very exhausting. It is. The time. Yeah. And it's deflating when it's like that, you know, oh, yes, oh, you silly yes, thing, you got yeah. it mixed up again, you know. Yeah. That was just yeah. Uh, yeah. awful. But that was an era and that mm. particular teacher was of an era, an earlier era um, then. Yeah. Um, that wouldn't happen now. No, <laughs> I no. Well, we would hope. We yeah. would. We have. It's, and I know, think there's a lot more emphasis on. these days, you know, 30 years on with the adjustments that any <laughs> student in the classroom, regardless of whether they have a recognised <laughs> disability, like things like visual schedules and, oh, you know, absolutely. writing these prompts down yes, and all yes. of it. But back then, I mean, we didn't have the technology in classrooms no, either that no. we do today. So. No, no, no. Um, I know. And, and there's um, coping strategies that, you know, people develop by themselves. Mm. Music has always been one a, an absolute joy for Jill. Um, she sings beautifully and we could never get her to remember her phone number, our phone number, until we sang it. Ah, yes. As soon as she sang it, went into her head and she could yes. probably sing that number, which is a long time ago now. Yeah. But that she found really helpful. Wow. She now uses more visual cues, mm. which is okay, but then you've got to have organised. yes. In yeah. place and, and yeah. whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, so amazing number of coping strategies that mm. this, you know, that, mm. that people develop mm. where in whatever situation and I think. Mm. And um, I think that's the thing, isn't it? People forget that there might be 25 little people in front of them in a classroom but um, they've all had to expend very different efforts and energies mm. yeah. to yeah. Mm. be at that point. <laughs> that's right, today. to be there yeah. today. Yeah. Yeah. But you could only do what you could do at the time that's with right. the yeah. information mm. With the advice and, and the information yeah. that I had. And I guess because there wasn't the support things either. No. So if you did have this label, yes, there wasn't <laughs> support for all of that. No. So now you can... A label can be the door to open mm. to support. Mm. You know, when mm. that's an assessment done, oh, yes, this person is mm. eligible for this kind of support and we can mm. do this, this and this mm. and this. It's not just, okay, oh, right, well, that's what that means. We won't mm. worry about too much mm. effort there because mm. Jill's, you know, mm. that stuff. Whereas Gillian actually went on, mm. um, I guess it's the happy story, is, yes. you know, Finished she went to high school. school, she graduated from high school with year 12 with, with quite a, uh, with a lot of effort from turning up mm. and mm. putting in the effort. Mm. She didn't ever, you know, shine academically. She found her love of the arts. Mm. We had a wonderful high school, state high school that she was at. And she went off to TAFE. She did her um, fashion design course, loved that, enjoyed that. Mm. Is there anything else that we haven't covered today in terms of talking about Mosaic Johnson Job that you would like to share in terms of things you you wonder whether the wider community understand? Mm. I guess it's just that fact that I know she's really keen to have um, explored is the fact that each one of, well, every child, then specifically every child with Down syndrome and then even more specifically every person with mosaic Down syndrome are different. Mm. And with mosaicism, it you know, it, it's a real lottery. You mm. don't know mm. um, what, how it's going to affect. Mm. And that business of, of just wait and see um, is difficult. 
And everybody, I guess, because everybody's responses, physical responses are different, mm. Mm. Um, then the way they um, see the world and the way they operate in the world is also different. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. No. no. Uh, it's very much, okay, so we have short-term memory issues, mm. let's work on some strategies for that. Mm. Mm. Um, um, I guess that's the big takeaway. Mm. Um, I I just survive on information. I have to know stuff. So mm. I look up and I share and I read mm. and I whatever. One of the things as a parent that I found absolutely the hardest and it's still a, a problem for me in lots of areas of life is I like to talk out my problems and worry and share. Mm. And so to be told, don't talk about it. Yes. You know, don't, you'll, you'll damage your daughter if you talk, if, if, if her, mm. you know, cohort know that, you know, don't talk about it. No, just so. So just talk about, you know, oh, yeah, Jill's, you know, she's um takes a while to remember things different. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, I a guess it encouraged way. masking, didn't it? It did it encourage masking. That's right. So mm-hmm. and, and I think the, the most important thing about that is, as I said, um, these days labels are opportunities for mm-hmm. to open doors mm-hmm. to get res, re, um, resources. Those days because there weren't the support and the understanding, mm. even though the will was there, you know, mm. um, there was a lot of support and love and goodwill, but there just wasn't mm. the support structures mm. those days. Then then it was the label was, oh, okay, well, we can't deal with this, so oh dear, you know, we'll just mm. let her go. Mm. Let her sit in the corner and, you know, mm. play. She's happy. She's not causing anyone any trouble. Mm. Whereas now that would happen. There's a label, okay, this is... Mm. needs some support here. And there's actual legislation now around, you know, how important it is for schools to modify curriculum and make adjustments Absolutely. so that a child's in participating fully. Mm. I imagine once Gillian blew away all of the expectations that that initial doctor mm. had given you, yes. it must have been some sense of satisfaction as It parent. was, and it was wonderful to go back to that doctor all the time because she said, oh, I can't believe Jill, good on you. You know, she was very supportive. Mm. And, oh, really? And she gets so excited and all the milestones and all mm. the things that she'd done. Um, it was just amazing. And I guess it was building supportive. her education too. Oh, it was. Yeah, she was just, okay, let's see what we can do. One thing I did, didn't mention was... The fact that not knowing, and I hope Jill doesn't mind me mentioning this, was the fact that at about 13 or 14 she was told by you know, her medical mm. people that because we don't know how many of your cells are affected, mm. it might be your ovaries. Mm. If your ovaries have this the chromosome um, abnormality, then all the children that you bear will have full. Mm. Down syndrome that won't be a mosaic. Mm. If they're not affected, you have no more chance than anybody else. Mm. And that was a burden that Gillian did carry until mm. she had three healthy, big, bouncing boys, yes. <laughs> which she does. And she's a mum, and she's a mum, you know, wife, yes. and she's involved in all sorts of things. And she works here now for Down Syndrome Queensland and mm. absolutely adores her job. But at the time, that was a big burden to carry while mm. she was growing up and, mm. you know, moving into the world of mm. partnerships and things. I don't know about mm. should I have a child. I just I so appreciate everything that you've shared. Okay. Um, thank you so much for coming. And I think that the parent's journey is always such an interesting one too. Mm. And um, obviously we've loved hearing Gillian's 
you know, mm. input around what it has been like for her throughout her life to know that she has mosaic Down syndrome. But, you know, for you in, in the era that you had, Gillian, mm. when there was so little information, mm. um, next we're going to hear from a parent who's only got a young child. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll hear about how things you know, have changed mm. since mm. the time that Gillian was born. So thank, thank you. you. Can you share a little bit with us around when you found out that Greta has mosaic Down syndrome? Yes. So Greta now is six and we um, received her diagnosis just before her second birthday. Um, So we, um, you know, when she was, we had the sort of probably what you would call standard prenatal screening, the combined first trimester screening, um, and there was nothing, um, there was no high chance result that came from that um, sort of screening process. So I had a very sort of, um, you know, uncomplicated pregnancy um, and she arrived very quickly. Um, We got to hospital and I think I had about 10 minutes to spare before she made her way into the world and there was sort of nothing that, birth that was um, noticed and uh, we just, you know, carried on merrily with our lives. Um, she she um, was a very, she was the only one of my um, three children to breastfeed from the start um, easily um, and she was a great sleeper, you know, became a great eater, um, but she then developed um, and she met her milestones later than what the boys had um but you know she was happy healthy um thriving um and you know developing in her own time so um so there were no other indications to you at that point other than the milestone differences yeah yeah there was you know there was you know she absolutely absolutely met those milestones later Mm. but but equally sort of within the um sort of expected uh, time frame, just sort yeah. of just inside. So, for, you know, she was walking at 18 months. Um, mm. So with the maternal child health nurse uh, appointments, there were, you know, no concerns raised mm. about, mm. you know, the pace of her development. Um, mm. and, you know, she was putting on weight. She was um, doing all the things. And she was, you know, bringing us so much joy, such a yeah. happy, um, cruisy baby and fitted in so well with, you know, what was a busy busy time or, you know, continues to be a busy time yes. of life with, you know, being dragged around to um, older brothers' activities, older brothers <laughs> activities school and pickups and kinder pickups. Um, but I, so, um, you know, I was, as you know, as a mother, we worry about the things. Um, and so I was attuned to the fact that these milestones were being met later, but I was also, you know, would tell myself, you know, all babies develop differently and, you um, mm sort of to relax about that um and then so she I think so her she started walking and then I expected that her language would start to sort of come along and she had some words but um but when I was sort of you know comparisons are odious but when I was thinking about what the boys were doing in terms of um speech at a similar age it was quite a marked difference so I think that combine the sort of physical sort of slightly you know later milestone meeting combined with um excuse me combined with the um 
then the speech not coming along. Mm. Um, it was then that I, I ex- went to a pediatrician mm. and he had this suspicion. Um, so he asked a lot of questions um, and had a, a sort of at the end of this consultation spoke about mosaic Down syndrome. So that was the first time that I had heard, I'd obviously heard Down syndrome, but I'd never mm. heard this mosaic Down mm. syndrome. Um, and it was, so I was at this this consultation um, on my own, Greta and I, mm. um, and I was, it really felt like hearing those words, it really felt like, you know, being hit by a truck. It was a, it was a, mm. a very intense shock. Mm. Um, and was he sharing that with you before running any tests? Yes. So he said, look, he he sort of looked at her, he asked me a lot of questions, he, you know, examined her physically and said, look, I, I have this suspicion based mm. on, um, he said, and I don't think he even said at the time what sort of, you know, physical markers he was noticing were, mm. um, but he said, you know, based on, I feel like there's enough there to warrant a test um, mm. for to sort of to rule out mosaic Down syndrome. Really, he said, "Look, if I had a thousand dollars, I wouldn't put my money on it, but I feel like there's enough there to justify mm. a test." Um, so yeah, so he was very transparent. Um, uh, and then, so so that was that was sort of a huge shock. At the same time, it sort of resonated with me in a really. So I I thought. So it was this odd combination of I'd never sat there thinking, I think my child has Down syndrome, um, but at the very same time as feeling hugely shocked and sideswiped by this information, it almost immediately sort of felt, oh, a bit of, oh, I think, yes, I think this is this is what it is. Hmm. Um, I guess that you at least had some sort of possible explanation for yeah. those small differences yeah. that you might have noticed. Yeah. Yes, 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 yeah. Um, so then we had a, a long wait while um, while I did tests. There was a, a uh, just under a week for the sort of less sensitive tests to come back, which was actually negative. But he had oh. warned us that it it could be a false negative. Um, and then it was nearly a month. I think it was somewhere between three and four weeks um, wow. till we had the the um, the confirmation. So that was probably the most difficult time because mm. um, we really, like I was sort of beginning to sort of, you know, integrate this knowledge and um, I didn't do sort of much Googling in that time, but I, I was sort of thinking this is, yeah, this sort of is what it is. You know, mm. I was expecting that that diagnosis would be confirmed and then my husband, on the other hand, was uh, quite reasonably saying, oh, let's just wait and, and see. You know, mm, a few mm. sort of thing. I probably don't think this is what it is, and let's just wait and see. Mm. So it was a, and we weren't really speaking about it until we sort of knew one way or another. We kind of mm. kept it to ourselves. Mm. Um, although, look, you know, so it was a hard time. Having said that, you know, I was reflecting. There were moments of levity in that time as well. I remember, um, so because we kept reminding ourselves, no matter what the result is, this is the same little person standing in front of us. You know. Um, and and it, and as a GP, I, I went to. Um, I think Greta had a cold during that time, and I was sort of quite hyper vigilant during that time. I think too, and 
think I got a bit upset in that GP appointment and and she she sort of said those words as well you know it's not gonna whatever that result is it's not gonna she's still Greta (laughs) yeah yeah but I remember saying look if this if, if the test comes back and it does you know confirm um mosaic down syndrome we'd better not tell anyone because everyone will want these extra chromosomes <laughs> <laughs> because she was such She's a beautiful so young person yeah <laughs> so oh, oh wow so, yeah so not but not to not to sort of understate that it was a, it was a really difficult time mm. so so once we went back you know had that um the diagnosis confirmed it felt like we could sort of be on the same page and kind of just get on with things and put the supports in place um, that she needed to sort of mm. support her learning. So, and mm. one of those things was keyword sign, which yeah. just made an incredible, incredible difference to her learning. Yeah. And so it sounds like you were able to start accessing early intervention very quickly from that point of diagnosis. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. We, um, yes. And look, to me, the only real benefit of a diagnosis is that it can, it can um, focus everyone's minds on how to meet the needs of that, um, yeah. that person. Um, and, yes, yeah, certainly I think the challenge with having the sort of mosaic element of the diagnosis is that we were sort of trying initially I think we were sort of focused a little bit more on that the mosaic sort of nature of it and how that's very rare and mm-hmm. um, but there's really not much information there's not much research, you know, peculiar to mosaic Down syndrome. Um, that I was going to ask you about that, like mm-hmm. what we were offered, because we've just earlier in this interview, you know, spoken with um, a family whose loved one was diagnosed back in the 80s. And of course, that, that was before Google, there were no books on this, you know, there was just so little information. I'm, I'm quite shocked to hear it's still a bit that way. Yes, it, 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 really is and I think it's sort of it's coupled with the fact that it you know it is sort of so rare so you know there's just not the the numbers out there in terms Mm. of sort of in for example sort of connecting with community that if Mm. you're particularly focused on the mosaic aspects of it Mm. um there's just not um like in America there's they there's some um so there's the International Mosaic Down Syndrome Association, uh, which is based in America, and um, you know they have annual get-togethers, and you know they've just got the population to sort of support. Yes, yeah, like that. yeah, um, yeah. So I think very early, and and I mean it's you know exactly the same. So you're sort of looking. I think at that early stage, we were really wanting a crystal ball, and I remember the GP sort of sat, uh, the paediatrician saying you know you probably want to know what will she be doing you know at six what will she be doing you know at 15 and um and of course that's what we wanted to know um but you know you don't know that with any of your kids no you don't Um, and I think the more sort of I kind of you know uncovered and the more sort of research I did the more I sort of just became more comfortable with you know that the unknown and mm, mm. and just how that is also a universal experience and it's not every every parent is going on this journey um, mm, mm. no matter how many um, chromosomes your child has mm. and what mix of <laughs> typical no, no. <laughs> tries to be ones they are we're all just on this journey yeah, of yeah. 
um, yeah. you know, going along with it and meeting the challenges that might come our way and just equipping our kids to, you know, live a life. Reach, reach for their dreams, whatever they reach are. Reach for their dreams, contribute, and mm. um, yeah. yeah. So, so I think sort of, you know, it wasn't an immediate sort of realization, but I think as sort of went along, um, yeah, you sort of realize that it's not, it, you know, it's not necessarily that different. So, sort of for us in terms of like it's focusing specifically on sort of the mosaic, it it was in quite a short period of time, I sort of realised it wasn't that useful necessarily to try and be trying to seek out sort of mosaic-specific supports or resources mm. because mm. Well, probably they don't, you know, to a large degree exist. Um, there. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, we're, we're felt, and, and for my first contact, um, you know, with our state Down Syndrome Association, uh, we felt, you know, I think the words that the family support worker used was you know you're part of the family yeah, um, yeah. which was really important because I had sort of had that sense you know are we going to be um you, you sort of feel a little bit that um are we going to be kind of in in limbo mm. where sort mm. of um where not sort of accepted or seen as part of um mm. the mm. trust me 21 community um mm. and you know and the same sort of in extreme mm. sort of circles. So, so there was that, um, yeah, that worry, I guess. But mm. certainly, from uh, that, that was very much um, my mind was put at rest. Yeah, from within the community, the, yeah. the dancer yeah. community. What about, um, I guess, more broadly in terms of now that Greta's at school and things like that? Mm. You know, ha- has that diagnosis? made things better for her in terms of accessing any additional support or so she's not eligible for any so she doesn't have any additional support at school um mm. and that was something that you know throughout kinder it's a kinder and childcare, um and so it was kind of interesting too with you know when she had when she received her diagnosis she was at childcare. so we sort of went through this this uncovering and learning mm. with the, the carers around us and they they were all incredible. They all went off into keyword um, sign courses and we're putting mm. visuals up all around the um, classroom. So part of the joy of all of all of it for me has been bringing the people, whether it's sort of professionals or family and friends, has been bringing all those people along with us on this sort of learning journey. We've all sort of gone like, oh, what, together and, you know, um, and I, I think I, I always like to really remind myself of how little I knew and the misconceptions that I had about mm. Down syndrome and what that meant. Like I, I remember thinking that so Greta was enrolled in a little music class the boys had been to, a little, um, great little music class at the local church hall. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, she's going to have to go to, this was in the first couple of days after mm. I soon got my head right, but I remember thinking, oh, she's going to have to go to a special music class. Mm. Like how ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, often people would ask me in the lead up to Greta going to school, even if they hadn't met her but they knew of her diagnosis, they would, the very most common question was, oh, so will she be going to the same school as mm. her brothers? Mm. Mm. Um and 
you know, I think, my goodness, you know, she's, and I, I hesitate so I don't because I don't want to sort of be like, oh, she can do this and she can do that because, it, you know, whatever she can or can't do is, but she's <laughs> very um, adept um, yeah. she loves reading. She loves learning. Um, you know, she's a she's a great little learner, and and that mm-hmm. sort of classroom, um, uh, sort of the structure of the classroom just suits her mm-hmm. so well. Yeah. Um, yeah yeah where where do people expect that she's going to be learning but I think it's human nature isn't it when we hear some news that maybe we weren't expecting to hear we immediately start I think it's just a human nature thing we start thinking about limitations and and stereotypes rather than as you said earlier on like at the end of the day she's still the same little person she was yesterday so um why would we suddenly put different expectations yes absolutely yes mm. and I think even you know in the, probably only more in the last sort of year or so I remember one of the speeches sort of doing some test and sort of <clears throat> saying oh you must be really surprised or you know or pleased or something about how she did with this and I, I sort of thought well reflecting on that I sort of thought well I you know I think that's all about kind of that sort of conversation is almost sort of couched in limited expectations, you know, like mm. why let's just, mm. you know, mm. try and mm. <laughs> not be surprised or to have those preconceived ideas about what, mm. you know, she may or may not um, be good at or mm. enjoy mm. and just mm. sort of go with it. You know, yeah. easier said than done. It's not sort of trying yeah. to be about it. But, um, yeah, yeah, she certainly um, is doing beautifully and you know enjoying life and you know participating and um you know and I I remember from when we at the very early days of her diagnosis thinking you know will she ever be able to we were doing lots of flashcards around you know does she want Vegemite or honey on her toast and um and I just remember thinking you know will she ever be able to really tell us about her day you know the good Mm. or bad that might have happened at childcare Mm. or kinder or wherever um but we can't shut her up now <laughs> <laughs> communication is her superpower <laughs> oh, oh but but I guess that's the beauty isn't it as a parent as you said earlier with regardless of whether your child lives with any you know extra ingredients or not <laughs> yeah like when when a child shows strength in an area we all just go oh wow so that's going to be your thing or you know you're yes, that's, yes, that's what you're interested yeah, in yeah, true, true. you know yeah yes true true, true. but I know. think I would say to you just focusing specifically sort of on <clears throat> the mosaic and how uh, sort of side of it and how perhaps Greta's experience and maybe our experience as a family might then sort of differ is just in terms of it being immediately obvious to other people that she has Down syndrome or mm. not. Like I, I, we've never had um, anyone, you know, speak to us on the street, sort of, mm. you know, assume that she has mm. Down syndrome. Mm. Um, and I imagine that might have even been quite a shock to your wider family when you shared that news. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, those were really difficult Um conversations yeah yeah, really difficult yeah and you know of course um though you know our parent you know our parents weren't the grandparents generation really probably grappling with Mm. 
you know, mm-hmm. you know, old, uh, outdated ideas, even more so than sort of mm-hmm. we were. So, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Do you have any other kind of key messages that you would like the wider Down syndrome community to know or understand about Mosaic Down syndrome? Oh, I think I would just like to, you know, hope that everyone thinks that we're all part of the part of the family. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I very much sort of feel that we are. I think, um, you know, we all we're all going to have our own challenges and mm. um, you know differences, and we're sort of just all there in the mix. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just like in regular life, there's such a wide variety of what makes a person unique. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So um, I certainly, you know, as a <clears throat> as a family, we've just benefited immeasurably from our connections with um, Down syndrome uh, Victoria in our case. Yeah. Um, mm. So, you know, we it's it's just been such a such a benefit and you know all the all the research and the learnings and um you know things like um understanding the learning profiles of people with down syndrome all all of those um are just completely applicable mm-hmm. to um our family to greta mm-hmm. and have just made the world of difference so sort of the the social connections and you know being part of a community, you know, going off and celebrating, you know, Greta proudly celebrating um, World Down Syndrome Day at her school. Um, yeah, we, yeah, we feel just really lucky and that it's a real massive bonus um, to be part of such a community. Indeed. I think, and that's how we're going to conclude today's episode is um, listening to your beautiful Greta read her story about um a Down syndrome that she has shared with her school. And I think thank you so much for the two of you for sharing your journey with us and um, allowing us a little peek into your world and, and how you came to learn that you were part of this community. So thank no you. Worries. No Well, Greta certainly has a lot of chromosomal pride. So uh, <laughs> she was, very, yeah, she was very, very excited to share the story today. Yeah. And, and, you know, that in contrast to what we've heard earlier from Gillian, you know, born several decades ago where the family were encouraged not to share that information. It's just mm-hmm. beautiful to see how the world is changing in in its way of approaching you know the diversity of human life so it's very heartening to hear that um, yes I hope so I yeah. hope so and I think when we sort of share our differences and vulnerabilities that then other people um do the same so it's absolutely it's, it breaks down barriers across so many parts of society doesn't it when we all just say you know the human experience is very <laughs> unique yeah <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Tanya. Greta, a story about me and my something extra. On the day I was born, my biggest brother, Jasper, said, it feels like I have 100 hours. Here is Jasper and Molly giving me a big kiss. I do agree and not so much. I wasn't in a rush. One day... The doctor told us that I was made with an extra ingredient, an extra chromosome, he said. We call it Down syndrome. 
Dancing down is just one of the things that makes me who I am. We all have lots of different things that makes us who we are. In some ways we are different and in some ways we are the same. Some things about me. I love reading books. I have blue eyes. Hot chocolate yum. I love summer. I love school. Ballet and tap is so much fun. I love drawing and painting. I love my family and friends. And my dog Snickers. What do you like? What makes us the same? What makes us different? If you would like to hear any episodes from previous seasons or more information on any subject relating to Down syndrome, visit our website www.downsyndrome.org.au forward slash Queensland. That's www.downsyndrome.org.au forward slash QLD. You have been listening to the Now and the Future podcast. For more information about this episode and many other topics related to Down syndrome, please visit the Down syndrome Queensland website at downsyndrome.org.ie slash QRD. Down syndrome Queensland, supporting people with Down syndrome now and into the future.